As always, I'm very happy you're joining me. Today, I want to dive into some terminology that was new to me, such as plurilingualism and translanguaging. And I put a poll on my Instagram stories to see how many people knew the term plurilingual or plurilingualism, and the majority had said no. I think only two people had said yes. So we're going to get more into that today. So stick around. just a quick note before we get started. I am recording this episode on my phone using the Anchor app because the website was glitching and not processing any of my recordings, um, whether it was with the computer, mic, or my mic. So I hope that the recording and the sound quality is okay. So today we're going to talk about a bunch of different terms that I think are important to know about and that, uh, as I said, I also just discovered recently. But I do want to start with the more well-known terms. So we're going to compare bilingualism and multilingualism. So bilingualism is the ability to speak two languages proficiently. We spoke a little bit about this on a previous episode about fluency, that a person can be bilingual even if they are not a native speaker and even if they don't consider themselves to be fluent. So I believe that as long as you can use that language proficiently and get communication, uh, you can get your point across, then you are bilingual. Multilingualism, however, is the existence of multiple languages side by side. So they're not always multiple multiple languages in the same person. So I more often hear this term multilingual used about places such as Switzerland is a multilingual country or New York City is a very multilingual city. So there are many speakers, some of whom are monolingual, bilingual, etc. But there are many languages spoke in that place. Um, another point is that we don't usually call people multilingual. In English, you could, at least not in the States. Um, I more often hear the term polyglot used to describe someone who speaks more than two languages. So you can either be a monolingual, you speak one language, bilingual, you speak two languages, and then polyglot, someone who speaks three, four, five, all the way up. Um, Another interesting point is that the term bilingual and bilingualism is used much more frequently than the term multilingual or multilingualism. And it often will have this extended meaning of two or more. So I don't know why, but we just don't really use the term multilingual all that much. Um, So the new word I want to talk about is plurilingualism. And like I said, I just discovered this term myself. Um, doing some research, and it's used more in academia, in education, in higher education, um, in research, in papers, and things of that nature. But it's not something the common person usually talks about. But I think it is important to talk about and make a distinction here with a group of people like yourself that are interested in languages. So plurilingualism is the ability to use more than one language and to switch between them depending on the situation for the ease of communication. And an important note here is that we do not have to be fluent. Again, kind of like being bilingual and being proficient. It's just being able to kind of flow between these languages so that everything can be easier. We're trying to make it easier on everybody. Um, 
another definition that I that I uh, think describes it well is that uh, a plurilingual person is someone who lives their day in two or more languages. So it's really about just needing more than one language in your everyday life. So if someone is, let's say, uh, in Israel, there's many doctors that are at home will speak Arabic, but when they go to work at a hospital, they're speaking Hebrew. That person is living a plurilingual life because they're living in two or more languages. And it can be dependent on a place. Um, a lot of places where kids will speak a language at home and go to school and be taught in a different language, that's also a plurilingual situation. Um, some people even extend it to dead languages. So if someone, I know my colleagues, um, when I used to work at a high school, they used to speak Latin, which is considered a dead language, but they were using it. They were speaking it and teaching it to their students and making it alive. So if uh, we were all, all of the language teachers that I worked with, we were all living plurilingual lives because we spoke English to each other. We spoke English at home or whatever language we spoke at home. And then we spoke a different language in the classroom. So Latin, Spanish, French. So this term is just not used as often. Um, I think it, it is newer. I know for sure it's been, uh, in, it was introduced more recently than the terms like monolingual, bilingual, multilingual. Um, another thing that's important about this term is that it removes the ideal native speaker who's at the top that's perfect. Um, if you listen to my episode on fluency, you know that that really doesn't exist. It's just an ideal. Um, and instead of having this goal that we're all trying to reach, which is the native speaker level, um, what's more important here is to be an effective communicator in whatever language makes the most sense. So it's not that you have to speak this language perfectly. Um, it's that you can use the languages that you know to make effective communication with the people around you. So for myself, um, when I visit my in-laws, I do not speak fluent Polish. My Polish is nowhere near a native speaker, but if I can speak it well enough that they understand what I'm saying, then I've gotten my, my point across and um, they're able to understand me and I'm able to understand them. And that's using the multiple languages in my life. Uh, so this term and the other term, translanguaging, um, they confuse me a little bit, and I was looking up how they're different from the word code switching. So many people have probably heard this term. There's a great NPR podcast called Code Switch. Um, so just to define code switching, uh, this is by El Elgin uh, in 1979. He said it, he or she, I'm not sure, said it's the ability to go back and forth among languages, dialects, and registers with ease as demanded by the social situation. So as we can see, code switching talks also about dialects and registers and not just these formal languages that we like to put in blocks like French, Spanish, English. So uh, I think most of us know dialects are similar to a language. Um, there's a whole, I could do a whole episode on dialects because often it's just a language that has less power. <laughs> than the other languages. Um, there's a quote about languages. Um, what is the quote? About how a language has an army, whereas a dialect doesn't. I'll have to search that actual quote for you. Um, and then registers is 
the way that you speak formality, how you might speak different to a child, then you would speak to your friends, then you would speak to your parents, then you would speak to a professor. So these are all different registers that we have to, um, all of us, no matter if you're monolingual or a polyglot, all of us are speaking different registers every day. So code switching is just going between different forms of speech depending on the social situation. Okay, I hope this is not too much terminology, but the last term, which was brand new to me, translanguaging. So this term is when a multilingual person's full linguistic repertoire is used and honored instead of trying to keep narrowly focused on a single language. So that came from a website, um, blog heineman.com, what is translanguaging? And there's lots of research. Um, if you type that into a search uh, engine, you'll find lots of things. So I like the idea of translanguaging because everybody comes with different experiences and in the past, these terms are more new. So in the past, we would say, oh, you're bilingual, you speak German and Swedish. And we kind of put those two languages into their separate boxes. Whereas translanguaging is kind of putting them all into one bag and saying, these are all of the things that I know about language and culture. And whenever I need something, I can pull from that toolbox or from that bag. So it's not dividing things up um, into these separate little entities. So the definition also said the word honored, and this goes a little bit with how translanguaging is used in education and in classrooms. So there's this really great two minute, really short little video on YouTube that's called What is Translanguaging Really? by E. Chrisfield. And it gave an example on how to use translanguaging in the ESL classroom. So ESL is the English as a second language, um, which there's some problematic terminology there because sometimes students are learning English as a fourth language or a third language. But students that come to, let's say the United States um, or Canada or somewhere, England, and they're learning English. So this example said that those students, rather than trying to do everything in English and block out their native tongue and, oh, you can't speak that language. We're only going to do English here. Instead of doing it that way, would be to let those students go on the computer, do some research in their own language, in their native tongue. Then they get into groups. They collaborate with other students in English because, again, they all have different languages. They're going to come together in their common language, chat in English. Then they separate again. They can write down their thoughts now in their own language. And the last step would be to finally come back together and then they write their final drafts helping each other in English. So this method of welcoming in and honoring students' previous knowledge and their full linguistic repertoire, everything that they know, everything that they've learned up to this point in their life, letting them use it, read, research, all that stuff is um, just a nice way to honor that and also strengthen their literary skills in both languages because if we just ignore it, um, it's not going away. They're probably still maybe thinking in their native tongue at times, searching for a specific word. It's still there, but if we are able to honor it and help them, um, it's just going to make everything a much stronger um, 
stronger bond between the languages. They're going to become more cognizant of their different languages and how they work together. So um, I just think that these are really important terms that I myself, um, someone who's very passionate about languages and linguistics, I did not know about. Um, so again, those, I think there are five terms. They are bilingualism, speaking two languages proficiently, multilingualism, which is the existence of multiple languages side by side, a polyglot, which is someone who speaks two or more or more than two languages, so three or more languages, plurilingualism, which is the ability, um, the ability to go back and forth between languages, which is kind of like code switching. So it's more that you live uh, in those two languages every day and that you are switching depending on the situation, but that you really, you need those languages. They're part of your life and it's just a normal part of your day is to use multiple languages. Uh, code switching, the ability to go back and forth among languages, dialects, and registers with ease. Again, so, um, similar to plurilingualism, depending on the social situation. And then finally, translanguaging, uh, honoring a person's full linguistic repertoire and um, letting them use everything rather than focusing on a single language. So I hope that this short episode is helpful. I hope that you learned something. Um, if you did, come visit me at the future is bilingual no spaces or anything on Instagram and let me know. Or you can write me an email at tfibpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, I'm always looking for more guests who want to talk about their bilingual journeys or their polyglot journeys or multilingual journeys, whatever you want to talk about. I'm happy to hear from you. So reach out and let me know. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, one last note for the record. The quote is, a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. Just want to put that out there, that the real quote does exist. Um, sorry for butchering it in the episode. Take care. Bye-bye.